Good evening. The former president in a brewing civil war, the Trump campaign train in Iowa. How far is it from the truth? Biden says the uh, Biden says the Republican Party, the GOP, wants to control whose votes are counted. But Greg Palace says the Democrats play the voter suppression card, too. And the council speaker gets an earful from park advocates. With these and other stories, I'm Paul DiRienzo with the WBAI News for Sunday, October 10th, 2021. The United States has agreed to provide humanitarian aid to a desperately poor Afghanistan on the brink of an economic disaster while refusing to give political recognition to the country's new Taliban rulers, as according to a Taliban statement made today. The statement came at the end of the first direct talks between the former foes since the chaotic withdrawal of U.S. troops at the end of August. There was no immediate comment from the U.S. on the week-long meeting. The Taliban says the talks held in Doha, Qatar, went well with Washington freeing up humanitarian aid to Afghanistan after agreeing not to link such assistance to formal recognition of the Taliban. The United States made it clear the talks were in no way a preamble to recognition of the Taliban who swept into power August 15th after the U.S. allied government collapsed. In Iowa, Republican Senator Charles Grassley and Governor Kim Reynolds embraced Donald Trump's return to that state on Saturday, standing by the former president as he repeated his false claims of voter fraud and a stolen election to a crowd of thousands. The state's senior senator, who recently announced plans to run for an eighth six-year term, praised Trump as he introduced him by noting there was a great crowd honoring a great president of the United States. Outside the event, a Trump supporter provided insight into Trump's appeal. I see a civil war coming. I do. I see civil war coming. Trump spent almost 30 minutes of the rally, his first in Iowa since his 2020 campaign, arguing falsely that he had won Arizona, Georgia and Pennsylvania and that Republicans will be back as early as next year. Make America great again, again. I don't know. What do you like better? Really, you think about it, it's if you think about it, it's more accurate. Make America great again, again. Because we made it great. Now we have to make it great again. So it's one of those things. But make America great again. Our nation's comeback begins in November 2022 when we're going to reclaim the House and we're going to reclaim the United States Senate. The idea of America facing a civil war over cultural and political clashes seemed to be in currency at the event. I think the Republicans are about as weak as they possibly could be in the in Congress. You have maybe six that are worth their salt. Ted Cruz, Mike Lee, Rand Paul, and two or three others. The rest of them are just the same as the Democrats. They've been there too long. They're establishment. They don't care about the American people because they're in their elite little tower. And so we're just sick of it, you know? And we're not gonna we're not gonna take it anymore. I see a civil war coming. I do. I see civil war coming. And a former Navy intelligence cryptologist, Malcolm Nance, says the possibility of political violence in the United States is real. A year ago, I predicted that the United States was headed into a multi-year insurgency. Within 60 days of that, we had the first step of that. That was the insurrection where they tried to overthrow the United States government in a soft coup d'etat. We thought that by at least March, they would start to be chastised by people being called terrorists, insurgents. They weren't. The Republican Party established their solidarity around them. And from that point onward, 
they have quintupled down. They are looking towards the use of force at some point here. You know, I've seen many insurgencies. I have fought insurgencies. I have fought and tracked terrorists all over the world. What we're looking at here first is a political platform in which disagreements will be moved from out of the halls of power and into the streets through a armed people power movement. It'll be paramilitary. It will be political, but it will be headed by Donald Trump. And you are seeing the first steps of this. And a former Navy intelligence cryptologist, Malcolm Nance. Meanwhile, President Biden delivered remarks during the Democratic National Committee's annual meeting, which was held virtually this year. He says Democrats need to stay unified. The Republican Party today offers nothing but fear, lies and broken promises. We have to keep cutting through the Republican fog that government is the problem and show that we, the people, are always the solution. Look, if we're going to win races up and down the ticket, we have to like electing Terry McAuliffe again as governor of Virginia and re-electing Phil Murphy as governor of New Jersey. If we deliver today across the board, 50 years from now, people are going to look back and say, this was the period, this was the moment America won the 21st century. And once again, we bound together by one of the most consequential periods in the nation's history because we stayed true to who we are as Democrats and who we are as Americans. So let's get it done. Let's keep the faith. And newly minted Representative Jamal Bowman says he thinks Democrats will hold the House. Difficult at midterm election time. But as the president also remarked, only if Democrats deliver. I think we can and I think we will. But I do think you should be concerned. I think we should all be concerned. This is why it's really important to stay engaged in our democracy on a daily basis and for people across the country to continue to organize. Our job now that we have the House, the Senate and the White House is to deliver for the American people. And if we deliver with the Build Back Better Act, if we deliver with voting rights, if we deliver with common sense, uh, gun reform, and all of the other initiatives the House has been delivering on uh, throughout this year while Republicans have tried to obstruct, then the, the American people will see that Democrats are delivering, Republicans do not want to govern, they want fascism, and they will vote us back in and help us uh, to maintain our majority in both the House and the Senate. But it's, it's, it's thin, and we need everyone engaged and informed as we pass the Build Back Better Act, which, as you said, has so much uh, in it that's going to be transformative for women, for black women, for children, for seniors, for housing. Uh, It's an exciting time and we got to get it done. Representative Jamal Bowman. But journalist Greg Pallas has been following voter suppression in the United States for years. And he says, although Democrats like to give good speeches when it comes to voting rights, they're also guilty of trying to suppress the votes of people they don't like. I'm always happy to hear Joe Biden give a speech. It it helps me nap, but it doesn't help us make much progress. The Democratic Party has done nothing. In fact, has even somewhat promoted a massive purge program called ERIC, Electronic Registration Information Center Purge List. It's supposed to identify people who've moved. I did an analysis for Black Voters Matter of the operation of this purge in Wisconsin in 2020. They are targeting 135,000 people who had supposedly moved out of Wisconsin, so they shouldn't vote in Wisconsin. But what we found, and we went through name after, when I say we, the Palestine Investigative Fund, I was working with the 
Guardian newspapers on this and the Black Voters Matter, we found that a third of the people on this list, 30-some thousand people, had never moved there right where they were. We not only went name by name elect through electronic records, but I called 800 people. They said, I'm still here. We got some on camera. And now here's the kicker. Nearly 100% of the people who were falsely accused of moving were either black people in Milwaukee or students in Madison, Wisconsin. Now, why is that important? Because almost 40,000 voters of color, and the color is blue, were going to be blocked from voting. The Democratic Party didn't care. It took action by Black Voters Matter and other organizations. The problem, dear Joe, is look in the mirror. It's called the Democratic Party itself. Yeah, the Republicans have a reason to eliminate black voters and student voters. But why are the Democrats going along? Because if you let every person vote, you would have a very different Democratic Party. The Republicans feel they can go after voters of color because the Democratic Party is not, for, except for a couple speeches and some lip service, is really not been pushing back. Mm-hmm. With few exceptions, like in Georgia, where you had Stacey Abrams, Reverend Warnock, John Ossoff, as progressives within the party, and they had to fight their own party structure in Georgia to take over to protect voters. When they went and protected the voters, they won that state. In Wisconsin, because, by the way, the Palace Investigative Fund and Black Voters Matter, when we released that report, the state elections board, based on that investigation, blocked the purge of these voters. Biden won that state by 10,000 votes, not because of what he did, but because of what activists did, not because of what the Democratic Party did, but again, because of activists. I'm glad to hear a nice speech from him. I always like a nice speech, but I would rather see the Democratic Party and the Justice Department take on these mass purge issues. And that's journalist Greg Palace. And you're listening to the news on WBAI New York. I'm Paul DiRienzo. Council Speaker Corey Johnson finally spoke with East River Park activists on Thursday who've been staging a week-long protest outside City Hall. He talked with them for about 25 minutes, though claimed that he was not aware that they and allegedly two city council members have been urging him to hold an emergency oversight hearing on the city's coastal resiliency plan that would destroy the current 60-acre park. Justin Brannon and James Gennaro of their respective committees have told us that they support having an oversight hearing on the Eastside Coastal Resiliency Plan, which is the plan that is about to start to obliterate a 50-acre park rammed through by de Blasio to bulldoze a thousand mature trees. We are terrified. Every elected official, their response, we have written beautiful letters, edited, took many emails to get the language right, let me tell you. And we have done that work, and every single one says, get Corey to allow an oversight hearing on the Eastside Coastal Resiliency Plan. You didn't get the message? Do you want to get my response? Yes, yes, sure. Let's hear it. The three council members. Yes. It's their district. It's not my district. No, so but they, you're they, the, you're, as the no, speaker. If they, if they request a hearing, I'll do a hearing. They did request it. They did not request a hearing. Those 
three counts, but they request a hearing, we'll do a hearing. They haven't requested Seriously? It. Yes, they have not requested it. So, so I just want to clarify what you said. So you're saying Justin Brandon did not request an oversight hearing. He's not the hearing. council member. I'm sorry, it's what? The three council members who represent so, the area. But he's the chair of the waterfront That's not the way it works. It's, okay. It's not to do with someone's district. They have to request it for their district. That's the way it always is. They have to request Margaret it. Margaret Chen and Carlina have betrayed the neighborhood, so then we're screwed because they betrayed us? Well, if they're going to be a hearing, it's their district. There's never been an environmental impact statement of any significance. Nobody's ever actually really looked at this plan. The three of them worked on it together. So it's Carlina, so the it's Chen, and who's the third person? Keith Powers. Yeah, see, they're all they're all on the wrong side, though. They're all like... We're sitting here, and your office is not responding, and you're not it's responding. It's not my office. I told you the three council members. But you could have told us that. There's been two or three months that we've been to trying to contact you. You knew what we it. wanted to talk to you about. Uh, no, I didn't, actually. You did. You've not. You've gotten so many phone calls and emails, and they've been in great detail. You've gotten letters. Maybe the people who work for you don't give you a mail, but it can't be true. NYCHA is continually cited by De Blasio and Carlina as needing protection. They're scared. They're vulnerable. But in fact, NYCHA sent thousands of petitions to Carlina's office, and she refused to see those people. And she said they don't know what they signed. This is Manhattan. Yes. This Central Park and this East River Park. Yes. There is no. Park anywhere near the size of that in Manhattan. Do you realize the impact on our lives? We have hundreds of people writing emails and calling your office, and, and many people are very angry because your office has not responded. And I understand what you're saying is that they haven't requested it. Now you know. keep saying that. I don't know Now, now you know. Now you know. This is great. Now you know that there was a plan. And Council uh, Speaker Corey Johnson being questioned by activists from Save East River Park at City Hall uh, this week. Last week, two environmentalists, J.K. Canepa and J.Mac, locked themselves together in an embrace around one of the park's trees for 12 hours, demanding that someone from Johnson's office communicate with them about the East Side Coastal Resiliency Plan. No one from Johnson's office had reached out to them, so the activists made good on their threat and started protesting in the park every day this week, starting last Monday. Tommy Loeb is an activist with Save East River Park. He says the city's plans for the park may reveal a larger agenda. As a result of a video that a gentleman named Peter Shapiro took, which was very fortunate because nobody would have believed this conversation had we sort of paraphrased it or repeated it. First of all, the speaker, as a member of the city council, did vote for this project. It was a ULERP. There was a full council hearing. And he did vote for it. At some point, he certainly knew about the project. And we have talked to members of his staff directly. We have inundated him with mail and phone calls. If he doesn't know about it, it's because he doesn't want to know about it, not because he wasn't informed. Now, he's also moved the goalposts because we've been getting several stories. And that's why this video and this tape is very important. We have been talking to Councilman Brannon, who chairs the Waterfront and Resiliency Committee. And we all thought, and Councilman Brannon thought, that that was the appropriate committee to have an oversight hearing on the Eastside Coastal Resiliency Plan because, first of all, nobody's reviewed it in several years, and it's never had an independent oversight looking at it. And it's a almost $2 billion project, 90% of which is city money. Certainly, the city council has a vested interest. Councilman Brandon told us he asked the speaker, Corey Johnson, 
if he could have a hearing. And the first response we got back was the speaker was not interested in allowing Councilman Brannon to have a hearing, even though he's the chairman of the committee and requested it. Apparently, you need the speaker's approval to have a hearing. We were told that the speaker was not allowing Councilman Brannon to hold the hearing. Then, when we meet with Corey Johnson, by the way, it was a result all last week, many of the activists and supporters of East River Park action literally sat in City Hall Park chained to trees. And we got a lot of support, and we met some people, and Corey Johnson was one of them. But now he tells us that we need the support of Council Member Chin, Council Member Powers, and Council Member Rivera before he will allow a hearing to take place. These are all people, for unknown reasons, who are supporting the project. Why, in God's name, would they want to support an independent hearing, an oversight hearing, that might embarrass them? to say the least. Didn't he say you should lobby them? Yes, like we haven't been lobbying them for the last three years or four years. He was dismissing that he even knew anything about the project. And if he doesn't, that's pretty scary also. This is a $2 billion project. As head of the city council, you'd think he would be keeping track of a project of that magnitude, never been done before. The controller refused to sign off on it. Stringer said that the companies that were supposed to do the project, that bid on the project, were not qualified. He said they hadn't filled out all the proper papers and documents so that he could even verify whether they were qualified. They have failed to meet even the most minimal minority women-owned business requirements that the city has. Only 2% of the workers on this project at this point even come from Manhattan. Most come from the outer boroughs or outside the city, including New Jersey. So those promises were not kept either. More importantly is that he is clearly just shirking his responsibility, kicking it down the road, or just bowing over to the mayor. When Scott Stringer asked for the additional information and refused to sign off, there's a provision in the law where the mayor can ignore the controller. That's what he did. He just approved the contract without the controller's approval. What happens next? Well, next, the next step is October 27th, we are back in the appellate division appealing our alienation lawsuit, which is also the primary issue with the park, the fact that the city never sought alienation, which everybody believes they should have, including the assembly people, Epstein, and the state senators, Kavanaugh and Hoylman, and the city just ignored it and claimed that because it was for a park purpose, they didn't have to seek alienation. They got a lower court ruling, a one-sentence ruling, which clearly wasn't on the merits. We're at the appellate division October 27th. This whole thing is something bigger than this project, but uh, changed the whole attitude to the way that the city deals with parks regarding city development. They even went further. Jamie Springer, who's the commissioner of DDC now, the Department of Design and Construction, the lead agency, and the Daily News just this week, he wrote an op-ed in the Daily News, followed it up with an editorial, in which they say there's too much red tape, too much community involvement. They really want these projects just to go ahead without all this red tape. Tommy Loeb is an activist with Save East River Park, 
Under the plan, East River Parks, nearly 1,000 mature trees with a tree canopy that was 80 years in the making would be clear cut. Alienation refers to a state law protecting city parks from private sale. And finally, President Biden issued the first ever presidential proclamation of Indigenous Peoples Day, lending the most significant boost yet to efforts to refocus the federal holiday celebrating Christopher Columbus toward an appreciation of Native peoples. The day will be observed tomorrow, October 11th, along with Columbus Day, which is established by Congress. While Native Americans have campaigned for years for local and national days in recognition of the country's indigenous peoples, Biden's announcement appeared to catch many by surprise. Biden wrote in the Indigenous Peoples Day proclamation, Today we recognize indigenous peoples' resilience and strength, as well as the immeasurable positive impact they may have made on every aspect of American society. Balancing the issue of how the discovery of America's of, of the Americas by European explorers in the 15th century uh, caused so much destruction to the people who lived there already, the indigenous people. In a separate proclamation on Columbus Day, Biden praised the role of Italian-Americans in U.S. society, but also referred to the violence and harm Columbus and other explorers of the age brought about on the Americas. The decolonization of America of the Americas is held responsible. Pardon me, decolonization of the Americas is held responsible for the death of tens of millions of indigenous people. But today in the Bronx, long shot GOP candidate for mayor Curtis Sliwa campaigned as if he hadn't heard the message from Biden. He was in the old time Italian and now Albanian neighborhood along Arthur Avenue commemorating the Italian explorer. See, I'm in the Bronx. This is where I started, 79. Border. Webster, the Guardian Angels. Without the Bronx, I wouldn't be here. Was that the Bronx? Yeah, I saw. Oh, disgraziata. Disgraziata. Thank you, thank you. Thank you. Frankie the doorman, like Lou the doorman, running for a borough president of Manhattan. Pleasure, pleasure. Here you go. Guardian Angels, February 13th, 1979. The Bronx has the bust of Christopher Columbus that the Albanians take care of in the park in Belmont Arthur Avenue. I'm trying to promote a statue in Staten Island. Believe it. The most Italian of boroughs doesn't even have a statue in Christopher Columbus. But here today... Italian-American pride in the Bronx, where I all got started, without which I wouldn't be running for mayor today. Thank you. Pleasure. There you go. Thank you. Here you go, ma'am. Take my picture. Sure. Get your check. Sure, absolutely. You're right. And the election in November will pit Sliwa against the front-runner, Brooklyn Borough President Eric Adams. And that's some of the news for Sunday, October 10th, 2021. The news is produced with Linda Perry. Our engineer is Max Schmid. From New York City, I'm Paul DiRienzo. Thanks for listening. Mm-hmm.